You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 90th program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that has been dedicated to social change for over 23 years. I am Jacques Boulet and my usual conversation partner Jennifer is not with us today. Today I'm having a conversation with Dr Deborah Gleeson from La Trope University and also from the Public Health Association in Australia. Uh, Welcome Deborah. Thanks very much Jacques for inviting me onto the show. Mm-hmm. Listeners will recall last week, uh, in the midst of the initial euphoria of the COVID-19 vaccines finally arriving on Australian, on Australian shores and into the arms of real people, Jennifer and I started to talk about some of the publicly not known or discussed financial underbelly, as I call it, of the COVID-19 vaccine story. Indeed, I still have to see one article in the regular press and in most other media that pays attention to the circuitous ways the various vaccines have come to be available, and more specifically, who's actually paying for all of that. We talked about a recent article by Vincent Navarro, a public health researcher and activist who worked for long years at Johns Hopkins University, the ones who keep giving us the numbers of people dying and people being infected. And then later, after 30 years, back in his native Barcelona, he very clearly showed that behind all the excitement about having rather rapidly developed several vaccines that seem to do what's needed to contain the pandemic, a rather sinister political-economic reality remains mostly hidden. What Navarro explained and we discussed was that the oligopolistic, monopolistic oligopolistic pharmaceutical corporations, whose names have become part of our vocabulary, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and so on, that they actually are triple-dipping into public monies, our taxpayers' money distributing the extreme profits they make to their shareholders and owners. The system also leaves many nations with shortages that could have been avoided if the public institutions would have been left in charge of the production and distribution of the vaccines to their respective populations. And it potentially leaves poorer nations without vaccines for years to come. And all that, as Navarro suggests, because of our stubborn belief in private property and the market as the best distributor of all goods, including life-saving medicines. That's a rather tight nutshell for us to squeeze in last week's half hour. So we thought we need to know more about all of this. So today I'm talking with Dr. Deborah Glees, an associate professor in public health at La Trobe University and co-convener of the political economy of health special interest groups 
of the Public Health Association of Australia. Welcome again, Deborah, and thank you for joining me to help us further clarify the issues we started to talk about last week. So first off, could you tell us a bit about the areas you are devoting your teaching and research to, including some explanation of what the Public Health Association is about and the work it does? Thanks, Shark. I coordinate the Master of Public Health at La Trobe University, and I teach postgraduate health policy and health law to students who, for the most part, are already working in the health sector but want to expand their knowledge and skills in these areas. And I do research on public health policy issues and supervise students doing a range of different research projects on, on those types of issues. My research mainly focuses on the way international law and policy affects health policy at the national level, and I'm particularly interested in international trade agreements and how they affect what governments can do to address public health issues like the harm associated with alcohol, tobacco and processed foods, and also issues around access to affordable medicines and vaccines, which is obviously the topic that we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. um, until a few decades ago, international trade agreements mainly covered things like the movement's of goods from one country to another. So if you think of things like apples or television sets um, coming into the country from, from another country and, and the taxes that are applied at the border to those types of products. But in recent years, trade agreements have expanded to include a lot of rules that affect government policies in many different areas, including health. And one example is that many trade agreements these days include rules that affect the length of monopolies on new medicines and how long it takes for cheaper generic copies to become available. I've been involved mm. in the Public Health Association of Australia for more than two decades now. It's the peak body for public health in Australia, and it advocates for the health and well-being of all Australians, provides policy advice to governments, and it does a lot of advocacy work like writing submissions and advocacy letters and things like that. It's got mm -hmm. a really strong focus on health equity, making sure that everyone has a chance to live a healthy and flourishing life and that everybody has access to the things that they need to support a healthy life. And that's why I joined the association and why I see its work as really important and invest my time in, um, mm -hmm. you know, volunteer activities in the Public Health Association. And I convene a group called the Political Economy of Health Special Interest Group that focuses on the big picture political and economic issues that affect health, and they include trade agreements. So we monitor the trade agreements that Australia negotiates with other countries and advocate for fairer trade agreements that support health rather than undermining it. Hmm. That sounds right up the alley of uh, Think Again and of 3CR altogether. So <laughs> what is your take on the ways in which the pandemic is being responded to, especially in Australia, but also a bit internationally, especially to locate the significance of the vaccines in that response? Could you also talk a bit about the political economic background of that process, especially from a public health perspective? Yes. So what I focus on is access to medicines and vaccines at the global level. And I think it's clear to all of us that vaccines will play a vitally important role in the world's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic and help us to get back to something like normal life. 
And we're extremely lucky that we've got so many vaccines coming out that are um, proving to be safe and effective. You know, a year ago, we didn't even know if it would be possible to come up with a vaccine for this virus. We've never had a vaccine for a coronavirus before. And Australians are really fortunate as well. Firstly, that the pandemic has been managed so much better in Australia than in most other parts of the world. And also that we have um, access to safe and effective vaccines that are now being rolled out, as you know. But it's really important that we don't forget about the rest of the world. And what we've seen so far is a global grab for vaccines that's seen wealthy countries secure the bulk of the available vaccines for 2021. There was a study published in the British Medical Journal recently that found that by November last year, governments had negotiated pre-purchase agreements directly with pharmaceutical companies for almost 7.5 billion doses of COVID-19 vaccines, and 51% of those 7.5 billion doses had been reserved by wealthy countries that have only 14% of the global population. And some wealthy countries have even pre-purchased enough vaccines to vaccinate their populations many times over, while other countries don't have access to any. In January this year, the Director-General of the World Health Organisation pointed out that 39 million vaccine doses had already been received by people in high-income countries, and only 25 doses had been administered in one of the lowest income countries. So just think about that for a minute. 39 million in wealthy countries, 25, not 25 million, but 25 doses in one lowest income country. So he warned of an impending catastrophic moral failure because of the monopolisation of vaccines by wealthy countries. At the rate that vaccines are being made available in developing countries, it could be 2023 or 2024 by the time we reach a level of vaccination that will actually bring the pandemic under control globally. And this is not only a moral failure, this inequitable distribution of vaccines could actually jeopardise the global recovery from the pandemic for the whole world. There have been two separate studies, one by the RAND Corporation and one by the International Chamber of Commerce, that have found that hoarding of vaccines by wealthy countries could cost the global economy in the order of trillions of dollars. An uncontrolled transmission of the virus in some parts of the world also raises the risk of variants emerging that are resistant to vaccines. Mm. So it's really clear that the current situation that we have is unsustainable. We can't have just wealthy countries vaccinating their whole populations while developing countries can't even vaccinate the people who are most at risk. We need to really think about fundamentally changing the ways that things are working for the world to be able to emerge from the pandemic anytime soon. Mm. My goodness, you basically confirm what Navarro has been saying and what we tried to com communicate last week. So to digest this a little bit and let it sink down, let's have some music. Di Primavera, the second two, by Maria Grenfell, performed by Claire Edward Edwardis and Karen Schaub. And that will be followed by a promo. Thank you. 
So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're continuing our discussion about the financial and political economic background of the development of the vaccines that are supposed to free us all of the angst around the pandemic. We're talking with Professor Deborah Gleeson from the PHAA about all of this. So Deborah, in, in the Public Health Association materials you sent me, you talk about the barriers to access created by the pharmaceutical monopolies, not just to the vaccines, but more generally to all health products and health interventions related to our dealings with the pandemic and probably also other pandemics. Could you elaborate on this? Because much of that background remains hidden for most of us, I think. Yes, thanks, Jacques. Um, so part of the problem, as I mentioned earlier, is wealthy countries monopolising the vaccines. But we also have the problem of monopolies on the intellectual property and other types of knowledge, data and information that's needed for making vaccines and other COVID-19 products like treatments and diagnostics. And these issues bring me back to the issue of trade agreements most countries are members of the World Trade Organization and the, the members of the World Trade Organization have to sign up to one of its agreements called the Agreement on Trade-Related Aspects of Intellectual Property Rights. It's a bit of a mouthful, so we usually refer to that as the TRIPS Agreement. And TRIPS requires that members provide 20-year patents for new pharmaceutical products, along with other types of intellectual property protections. And I know you talked a little bit about these 20-year patents on last week's show. There's some other trade agreements negotiated outside of the World Trade Organization that also extend and expand these intellectual property protections even further. So, for example, by lengthening the term of patents for longer than the 20 years, or making minor modifications of existing medicines patentable. And the problem with patents is that while a product is under patent, the patent owner has a monopoly and no one else can make or sell the product. So this presents a really obvious problem in a pandemic where we need to rapidly produce and distribute large amounts of new medicines and vaccines. 
and instead we have this situation of artificial scarcity. So a good example of this is um, the medicine Remdesivir, which um, last year appeared to be really promising for the treatment of COVID-19. Since that time, um, further clinical trials have been done and a lot of doubt has been cast on actually how much remdesivir helps to uh, reduce the time that people spend in hospital and reduce the mortality rate. So, you know, for a time it appeared to be a really promising drug, um, but hasn't actually worked out that way. But during that time that, um, you know, it did appear to be a really promising treatment, there was a lot of concern because... Um, the company that makes this drug, Gilead Sciences, which is a US pharmaceutical company, has um, patents in over 70 countries for this drug. Um, Gilead uh, priced the drug at uh, over 2000 US dollars for a five-day course of treatment. Um, it was around uh, something like uh, in Australian dollars, around $3,300 um, for that five-day course of treatment. And this is for a drug that, um, according to a research study looking at the cost of production, has, has been estimated at around $1 um, per day of treatment, so about $5 for a course of treatment. And uh, as, as you discussed last week, Shark, the um, development of a lot of these drugs has been... Um, underpinned by large amounts of public funding. And in fact, Remdesivir was given about 70.5 million US dollars in um, public funds to underpin its development. Um, now, as well as uh, pricing the, the drugs so high, um, Gilead did negotiate some voluntary licences with pharmaceutical companies in India, Pakistan and Egypt to produce cheaper copies of the drug. And one company, Cipla, um, in India, planned to sell the drug for $66 um, per vial, so much, much more cheaply than what Gilead was selling it for in the US. But the terms of the licences that Gilead negotiated with these companies meant that they could only export the cheaper copies that they were producing to a small number of low-income countries. So a lot of middle-income countries like um, Brazil and Mexico, for example, so countries that were really severely um, hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, had large numbers of people dying, lots of people in hospital, were excluded from getting these cheaper copies and also couldn't afford to buy the, um, the treatment at the price set by Gilead. Mm. In, in addition to that, the US government brought, brought up the entire three months um, supply of remdesivir from Gilead. So you can see the problem that we, that mm. we have. Not, su not such an issue for remdesivir itself in the long term, but we have, you know, these, these monopolies that mean that the companies have the you know, the sole rights to make or sell them or to negotiate with other companies to restrict the, the way they can do it, um, but also not making them available at an affordable cost. And then we also mm. have wealthy countries buying up the products and restricting mm. access for other people. A very ingenious kind of a way of high, highway robbery, isn't it? Yes, mm. yeah. 
So there's a number of strategies that have been proposed to overcome these types of problems. Um, So a really important one is that um, South Africa and India proposed to the World Trade Organisation that the the World Trade Organisation members propose to waive the intellectual property requirements of the TRIPS Mm -hmm, agreement mm -hmm. for COVID-19 products just during the, you know, the pandemic, until the pandemic's Mm -hmm. under control. Um, Another really important mechanism is called the COVID-19 Technology Access Pool, which is something that was set up by the World Health Organization last year to encourage um, pharmaceutical companies and countries to pool the information and knowledge that they have about um, vaccines and other COVID-19 products to allow other companies to use them so that they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're sharing them freely rather than keeping oh, them okay. to themselves. Mm-hmm. But neither, mm-hmm. of these, neither of these mechanisms have received enough support to date to be able okay. to um, solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And Let's in the longer probably. term, yeah, yeah. In, in the longer was... term, we also need to really reconsider how the whole regime works, this system mm-hmm. of providing exclusive mm-hmm. monopoly rights to pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies. Exactly. Um, to incentivise research and, and development. Um, mm. So we need to be thinking ahead for the next pandemic and mm-hmm. thinking how do we need to um, mm-hmm. do things differently to prevent these yep. sorts of problems in the future. Mm. So meanwhile, we have actually slowly start to approach the end of our conversation. Let's first go to a promo and then briefly come back for our final bit of talk. Hey, all you mob, it's Dr Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. If you're feeling like this, remember, it's okay to ask for help. Have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. We have continued our conversation about the response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the ways the various vaccines have been developed moving from public resources via private ownership and back to using public resources to get them into people's arms. And we have talked a lot about, the, particularly also the uh, with Dr. Gleason about the international global implications of that. So as we are approaching the end of our half hour, I need to conclude our conversation. What do you suggest, uh, Deborah, should Australia's role be and what would you like our listeners to get involved in to uh, speed that that movement up a little bit? Thank you. Australia really needs to get behind this proposal to waive the TRIPS agreement and, and, and waive patents and, and other intellectual property protections that get in the way of providing access to COVID-19 products. Um, at the moment, Australia is not supporting that proposal, along with a number of other um, developed countries, the US, mm. the EU, mm. Canada, for example. Um, so Australia needs to reconsider that approach. 
Um, mm. Yeah, that's right. And it also needs to support the technology access pool and make it a condition of public funding that mm-hmm. any companies that receive support from the Australian government to develop new products for COVID-19 agree to share their intellectual property and not mm. um, hold monopolies on those products. Exactly. Mm. And the Public Health Association has written to ministers about these issues and we're, you know, doing some work to educate public health workers um, about them. We've held seminars and and published some articles and things like that. Um, But if members of the public would like to get involved um, in campaigning about these issues, what I would recommend is um, an organisation called the Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network, which has the acronym AFTINET, A-F-T-I-N-E-T. And AFTINET has um, an ongoing campaign about these issues, particularly about the TRIPS waiver. Um, So if you go to the AFTINET website, um, which is uh, aftinet.org.au uh, and have a look at their COVID-19 campaign. Um, you can read more about these issues and also participate in their ongoing um, actions, which might include, um, you know, petitions or letters or Twitter campaigns, for example, about mm. these issues. Thank you so much, Deborah, for all of that information, particularly also to show us the rather complex relationships in which uh, the privileges of the first world are yet again being preserved and selfishly kept uh, to the detriment of uh, global health, really, if you think about it, and paradoxically, most likely, and also to our own health. So we encourage listeners to ask the relevant questions to their state and federal representatives as well and to raise these issues in the other areas in which they are involved. It's not just about the pandemic. It's about keeping health and other policies public where they belong for so many reasons. Particularly also, you need to be reminded, dear listeners, that it is uh, 3CR uh, subscriber uh, activism. Uh, Please do subscribe to 3CR because we do need public radio to... uh, remind people about where actually public information belongs and where it should be accessible. Thank you, Deborah, for joining us and for giving all of that information to us. And thanks to listeners for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with Jacques Boulet and today Deborah Gleeson. Remember, if you want to send us a message or ask about anything about today's programme, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programmes are available by podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. We would also like, again, to thank Clive Bourne for technical and musical assistance. Meanwhile, stay tuned for the following programme, Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and friends. And to bring us into this programme, we have World Turning by Yothu Yindi. I've been-